Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the show. Here we are. Vass is here. Good morning, Vassar. Good morning, Christopher. Hello, Rachel. Good morning. All right. New stories this morning so far. Trinity said the T-Rex collection um, skeleton sells for $6 million to a private collector. A Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton called Trinity made up of the bones of three different T-Rexes. Oh, God, it's an amalgam. It's a cut and shut. <laughs> you know what we call that in the, in the car world? A bitsa. Oh. It's a bitsa. Um, so for six point one million dollars in a rare auction in Switzerland, well, I suppose you know it's still it's still a th- it's still a T. They're all still T. Rex bones. Yeah, they're just not all T-Rex. from the same oh, T. Rex. I'm not sure about that. That's like you know again you know learning from borrowing from the classic car world. You would say you know it has to have if it's a really sort of um, if it's a sort of in the upper echelons of, of of value, you would want a, a original body. Mm-hmm. You'd want matching numbers, engine. Um, Axle and gearbox, and this is none of those. This okay. is a definite bits of dinosaur. It's a bitsosaurus, is what it is. <laughs> we don't, broom. We don't know who's bought it. You know, I do. I still would love to find out who buys all this stuff. You know, and where do they put it? Two point two million dollar Michael Jordan trainers last week. Is it the same person? But is it Jeff Bezos? Is he bored? You know, he's in. Re- <laughs> he retired. He took early retirement from his own company, didn't he? He's got. He's got loads of massive warehouses, hasn't he? And they say, you know, after six or seven months, if something new in your life, uh, you know, had a quantum shift, if it's lasting, um, if it's forever, and it's it, ch- it changed everything genuinely about what. It's very difficult. Very difficult to change who you are and what you are and how you exist from the outside in even if you make an extravagant purchase or a big move a geographical you know few thousand multi-thousand mile move you know they say after five or six months you do return to who you were Maybe Jeff Bezos is thinking, I just want to be back in charge of Amazon. And I've got all my warehouses that I overbought because I thought we we're going to expand more than we have done. And now we need to reduce costs, which is why we're laying people off. But I've st- I signed long leases on these things. Let's buy a dinosaur. That'll fill <laughs> one tenth of one of them somewhere. And they can be seen from the moon. And the power trainers. Who's buying all the stuff? I don't know. Who's buying all the stuff? I wonder. I love it. I'd love to find out. 86 year old Ale made for Edward, the eighth abandoned coronation to be sold. It's all about the coronation at the moment. Coronation-related auctions from from past celebrations uh, from food and beverages that wasn't used. Now, we know, don't we, the Victorian age of Victoria uh, from Elizabeth I and II, Elizabethan. We know that from Edward's age, it's the Edwardian era. But what is it from King Charles? Carolian. It is Carolian. It's correct. It's Carolian. But you look, if you if you break down the etymology of Victorian, you know, I mean, I'm no literary genius, but it seems to me that the word Victoria is in Victorian. Yeah, got that. And um, Elizabethan seems to have most of Elizabeth, if not all of Elizabeth, in the name. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Edwardian. Oh, Kel Surprise. It's just got the Ian on the end again, and you got the Edward. Now, for me, you look at Caroline, you think, oh, Queen Carol. Yeah. Don't you? Mm. You don't think King Charles. You think, A, you think a different gender. B, you think a different name. Why is it not Charlesian? I think this doesn't bode well for his, for his reign, for his monarchy. I just don't. When, it, when you can't get your era right, you know, and think if they, go, if they get historians go, well, you have to be Carolean. Why? Uh, because that's what it is. If you're King Charles I and second, it was the Carolean age. Yeah, but nobody's going to get that unless they're at the meeting. Why don't we just be Charles, Charlesian? Or the Charlestonian. Charlestonian. Then you get a little dance just as get well. Charles in there. Mm. Charlatan. Well, that might it may end <laughs> up being Charlatanic to like. But Carolean. I mean, what? How? Seriously, these are, some things are so obvious, aren't they? You go, that's not a good idea. Somebody needs to tell Charles that's not a good idea. Somebody needs to get get everything go. This is this is the worst idea of the whole. You know, talk about. It's about the name. It's about your Google. It's about your Yahoo. It's about your your your, your Whoop. It's about your Amazon, isn't it? It's about the biggest thing in the world. So we're going to be the biggest thing in the world. It's the biggest thing in the world. It's the River Amazon. It's the ro- This is like the 
the king's new clothes. Is it called the king's new clothes? The emperor's, the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. It's the same thing. His name's not Carol. <laughs> it's Charles. Do you reckon somebody in the meeting was called Carol and thought, maybe. I'm going to try and get this maybe one through? Or the meeting was full of Karens and they came up with Carol. His name is Charles. Why is this era called Carolian? How to confuse all the children at school who already think schools are nonsense because they know more about IT than any of the teachers teaching them. They already think all this, and now you're trying to feed them Carolian for they're not they're, they're, they're thinking, you know, why do we have a monarchy? What is this monarchy? Why do these but is this funny? Get all this stuff all the time. They're not voted in. It's just you know, all there's all that argument going on, <laughs> and it's Carolian. You know, this is. I mean, if you want, they say, don't you? That if you're not happy with your nose, don't grow a moustache because you never want to underline a mistake. <laughs> no, well, they say that. They, they say that, and that's what they're doing with this. His name is Charles. Why is it the Carolean era? It's a nonsense. You're mental, people, at that meeting. You sh- none of you deserve to be any of your jobs. The Carolean, why? Oh, just sign it off. It's four o'clock, come on. Yeah. Pubs open. <sighs> Harry Styles and Will Ferrell to be the final guests on The Late Late Show with James Corden. That's it. Do you know what The Late Late Show, that whole era... Of James's reign, it's the Cordon-esque. <laughs> yeah, that's era. the correct terminology. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> really winds me up when people do that because I know the meeting. Everybody's too scared to say, "I've been at the, I've been at those meetings." Mm. And I go, and you get up and you say, and you, you instantly become the most unpopular person in the room, and they try and get rid of you as soon as they can after <laughs> that because you're telling the truth. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't want to be that parent, so you that you know the, the school. The school's done their meeting. Has anyone got any questions? And then there's a like, no, we need to go now. We need to go. Don't anyone ask a question? Don't anyone ask a question because question. the floodgates will open, yeah. and yeah. then we'll be here for another First, half an hour. Yeah, yeah, people yeah, thinking, yeah, well, I should going, ask a question. Shh. Yeah. Why don't we take it? Why don't we take this nonsense that is the Carolian era back to back to kindergarten? Right? Mm. No, let's go. Let's go primary. Let's go late primary, earlier junior school, mm-hmm. right? You know those questions? I love those questions. Sequence questions. You know, if one is three and three is four and five is six, what is seven? Yep. And you go, oh, well, I'll mean that. Okay, so, so the question for this is, right, okay, if um, Queen Victoria reigned over the Victorian age and um, both Elizabeths reigned over the Elizabethan age and uh, King Ed- all the Edwards were the Edwardians, they reigned in the Edwardian age, what do you think Charles the new king is going to be well, you're going to be here for a coronation once in a blue moon you're going to witness a coronation at the age of six seven eight nine ten and what what's his era going to be charlesian they would say or charlie probably charlesian because they just take the whole word like victorian no I- wrong you absolute <laughs> dunce why did you think that clearly it's carolian I presume Maybe. it's because the first two Charles's ruled over or, the Carolian ages. Yeah, I just I said but that at the beginning. It doesn't matter what happened Must, in the past. Maybe it's something to do with. No, it's Toyota have got involved and they've sponsored it, so it's the Carolian. Gardeners keen to harvest apples with gravitas can bid on Newton saplings. This has got me back to the apple store on Regent Street on I Monday. I did not know this. It's a great fact. Go on, you, tell, is, you say the fact. Well, that if you go to the apple store where they have actual apple trees with edible apples on and you make a purchase, you can pick an apple and eat it. You can pick an so I heard another great fact yesterday just because we said to Dara, what did you do in school today? And he said research. And we said research into what? And he said research into mountain animals. And Alex started laughing. He said, what did you learn about mountain animals? And he went, snow leopards can't roar. And we went, that's a good fact. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stop questioning what you're learning at school. But leopards don't roar anyway. Lions roar. But snow leopards. No, I would have thought they could. Don't, you, don't, you don't associate leopards with roaring. I would have. It's a big cat. No, you lions roar. I would have thought let a leopard Let the lions roared. roar. And the Unleash the lions and let them roar. <laughs> and let the leopards join in. I've never heard the, the word leopards. leopards and roar in the same sentence in my life. Well, there's a reason for that, because I don't can't do it. Well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Who is it that came up with this fact? My 10-year-old. What's her name? Dara. Dara. I, sorry, I get them confused. I know all the names are just, <laughs> just like the three best. But, um, well, Dara, there's the thing. I don't think the other leopard roars well, but I don't want to ruin your fact. I don't think leopards roar. Are you sure? Well, hang on a minute. It, does it? Did he say snow leopards don't roar? But do they do other stuff? Do they? Do, do they whistle? Or, I think like, they can do like a really full-on meow. But I think they're, they're. I think that's what leopards do anyway. Do leopards roar? Le- oh, leopards do roar. Okay, no, fair enough. It's a good fact. Thank you. Well, well done, Tara. That's what's your fact. Oh, my fact. Mm. So, 
your microbiome. We talk about a lot about our microbiome oh, yeah. on the show oh, and I the healthy, the healthy bacteria. No, 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 it's fine. It's sure? fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we're pushed for time. It's fine. This is a good fact. All right. This sorry. Is a good... Sorry. It would have been done by now if it hadn't been for the heckles. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's Jeez. that short. His microbiome is strong today. <laughs> so, depending on your microbiome, if you have a healthy microbiome, let's say Rachel and I have different microbiome. I thought you said it would be done by now. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm getting more involved. Right, it... We don't have time. <laughs> so every morning, I am gifted, usually by Tilly, but sometimes by Felix, my Mark's teeny. So Richard Marks came in here and he gave us this amazing recipe for this elixir to get you going at the beginning of uh, some kind of vocal performance or engagement. So for him singing, for me, the show. And what is it again? What are our ingredients again? Okay, here we go. I started drinking this concoction that is uh, lemon juice yep. and crushed oh, powdered best. ginger. And you can sweeten it with honey. I'm vegan, so I put a little stevia. Yeah. Um, and then a whole bunch of cayenne pepper. Uh, I've been drinking this for years. Yeah, well, I've been drinking it since Richard Marks came in. And it's absolutely... I look forward to it. Um, we just had the coffee run as well. So we have a couple of bespoke drinks, that one before the show. Then we have a little coffee from Pratt. We have, have our coffee round. And we've all got our subscriptions. And then after that, it's just fruity tea or water, isn't it? Warm water. Uh, but I can taste CBD in my Marks Tini today. Mira, have you, have you told me, Tilly to start putting CBD to calm me down a bit? Am I getting too much for you? <laughs> there's a, there's a, honestly, there's a long tail aftertaste of CBD in this. What's going on? Are you microdosing me? Because I think that might be illegal. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to meet you in the middle. You don't have to do it behind my back. If you are secretly microdosing me with CBD, fine by me. Okay. I don't know when you had the meeting. What's it? What's say again? Oh, right. Appa apparently, it's the essence of calming dog treats. <laughs> dog treats? Yeah. CDT. <laughs> as opposed to CBT. <laughs> right, so the reason that we are embarking on this nonsensical Carolean era uh, for the reign of King Charles is because, and loads of you texted in, thank you so much for all your texts, Rich in Rochester and um, Graham and loads, loads of other people, is because Carol is the Latin for Charles. Well, great, but guess what? We don't speak Latin re most of the time here in the UK. We speak um, the most spoken language on the planet, English. Um, so help us out with that because it's Latin. So I'm so, okay, fair enough. By the way, thank you. Thank you for every, every... It's not working. It's not working. You have to be at the meeting. Also, you have to... I love Latin, by the way. I'm really interested in Latin, but I didn't know that. I don't speak Latin. I wish I did because I love etymology. You know I did. You you spoke... You learnt a bit of Latin at school. I didn't. And Greek and things like that. And I wish I did. But I didn't. And most people don't. And that's the point. You know, we wish many things currently, uh, you know, in the future and retrospectively, but they didn't happen. And most of them aren't going to happen. And I didn't know that Carol was actually Latin for Charles. So then I'm going, oh, I've got to beef with this. I've got to beef with this. This is going the wrong way. Because, you know, if it starts bending, it only gets worse. People are saying, well, what's, if, you, if this is winding you up, what's going to happen when William um, takes to the throne? I, I'm not sure he will. You know, and I think if he does, he may be the last one. I, I think, I think, you know, I think, I think this is not the future. But um, because it winds me up so much, I then went into, OK, what's Latin for Victoria? Because that was the Victorian era. And Latin for Victoria is Victoria. But <laughs> I then went on to, OK, what's the Latin for Elizabeth? Because the, the Elizabeth, Elizabeth I, the Elizabeth, and our beloved Elizabeth II, he was an amazing queen and figurehead and so dedicated to, to, the, to her purpose and her service, uh, to, to, every, to the world and to life in general and to all the responsibilities. And she was an amazing person. I think King Charles is pretty amazing. But I just think, you know, I'm not sure the job exists anymore. Anyhow, anyhow, um, okay, Latin for Elizabeth, and they were the Elizabethans, mm -hmm. right? Is Elizabeth. But, but <laughs> Latin for Edward... Yep. And the Edwards definitely reigned over the Edwardians, is Edmund. So come on. <laughs> it, even that doesn't work. Mm. Even the Latin argument doesn't work. I need to calm down. Yeah, increase I need to the meditate. dose. I need to increase the dose. <laughs> yeah. increase it. Maybe it's because you put me yeah. in the CBD secretly. Because it can give you mood swings, apparently. 
you know, if you go with houses, right? So you go with houses. So you can have Georgian houses, yeah? Mm. You can have Victorian houses. So when Queen Anne was around, what are they called? Are they called Annian? Queen Anne House. They're called Queen Anne House, aren't mm. they? Because they, well, I mean, it doesn't sound right. It sounds, you know, I mean, or where my wife is from, from Armenia, you can tell. Um, she's not from Armenia, she's half Armenian. But um, her dad's completely from Armenia. But the, you can tell an Armenian surname because it ends in Ian. They all end in Ian, like all Icelandic names end in son, don't they? Uh, regardless of what gender they are. So it's really rankled you. Hasn't yes, it does. <laughs> I, I, I can't stand it. No. The fact that, you know, we're, we're going to be asked to... Because to, we have to talk about it a lot because we're on the radio. Well, why don't you make a call? To who? Somebody near the... Mr. King you Charles. Mean, you mean the Queen? Yes. Yeah. I okay. call her. I'll give her a call. Yeah, see what she I thinks thought, about look, it. Look, usually we only talk about 500 words and other t- more lighter Maybe topics. Maybe it's time to expand. I don't want to get in. It's not my job. Well, you know, be, be that person who stands up in that meeting. Chris. But I'm not in the meeting. If You'd I was in the, the meeting, meeting with I'd her. never get invited back, that's for sure. <laughs> so we're being asked, we're being asked to just accept, just roll over. We'll just roll over on this one and accept the Carolean era for King Charles. Kids are going to be... They're going to start calling him Carol because that's what kids do. Go, Carol! You know, Charleston, the Charleston era, somebody's saying. Somebody's saying, that. No, the texts are coming in. They're flooding in. They're flooding in the Charleston era. Um, you know, but... The, you get it wrong. Cause, because, you see, the thing about estate agencies, they can't... You know, they need to sell the houses. They need. They can't say it's. They can't say a Georgian house is some kind of you know so, some kind of other. They need to say it's Georgian. It's got high ceilings and those beautiful sort of framed square windows. And then you get a Queen Anne thing, which is similar, not quite as high ceilings, and a, the odd bay window or two. And then you get the Victorian houses, far too much red brick, far too smaller windows because the window tax things. Like, but you know where you are because it's about they, they have to get it right. You know, it's like it's like when when you're flying the plane. We talk about it a lot on the show. You know. Um, when you learn to fly, they say, yeah, you can check your instruments. Yeah, you can you check your T's and C's, um, you know, your temperatures and, and your, the, the different conditions. And you, you can have a look at your bearing and all, you know, you can do all that. You can do, you can fly by instruments. But actually what you really want to do, first and foremost, is look out the window and see if there's a mountain in front of you. Because if, you're, if your co-pilot says, well, according to the map, there's not a mountain in front of us. Yeah, but if you look out the window, there is. Yeah, yeah but we're not going to hit one because according to all this, ma- all the digital stuff and everything else. And by the way, the first engineer agrees me because he's looking at yeah, but I'm looking out the window there's a mountain there fly mm. the plane and the point is we're going to have to live in the Carolean era I can't even say it Carolean era mm. makes you swallow your tongue <laughs> or didn't... your tongue is it we... tongue or tongue tongue is it rum or rum it depends if you're drinking it no because Tash says rum the bedroom oh the, the living room what do you bedroom. say you say rum don't you room no you don't you just... I don't room <laughs> bedroom rum on the brum anyway none of it matters unless you want it to matter i just think it's confusing (laughs) i just think look yeah it's surrounded the problem with the coronation is the problem for the carolean era which by the way there's still time to change it they won't they won't change it but it's surrounded by brilliant name days you got may so it's on may the 6th Uh he's being coronated on may the 6th isn't he so Thursday is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Mm. It's a great play on words. It's a brilliant play on words. Two days later, it's Motorhead Day. The 8th of May. The 8th of May. It's all about words that are brilliant. Having fun with words that are funny. Uh, they're fun to think about. They're fun to say. And they help you understand what they what day it is. This does not. This is not a helpful name, <laughs> Caroline. Is it? It's not helpful at all. Anyway, let's move on. Should we move on? Where are we with the uh, with the first on-screen interracial kiss? Okay, so the first on-screen interracial kiss. Which show do you think it was on? I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about that. Which show? Okay, I've said show now, so it's not a film. I've sort of given that away now. Okay, that's natural parlance. That's me referring to something I know, and therefore I've now said show. So it's it wasn't a film. So the first on-screen kiss wasn't in the film and you sort of think it you because th- you know people want to make usually more of a statement with films they're more considered often they're more fearless or you know or, or they 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 feel more strongly about things when they're making a film there's more time to think about it you know whereas a tv show is ongoing you know um do they really want to rock the boat you know as much as the boat should be rocked sometimes you know again people stepping away people stepping taking one step back as opposed to to running towards the fire to save lives as opposed to save their own life 
But anyway, uh, so it was a TV show. So the first interracial kiss. I'll give you another clue. It's in 1968. Ooh. Yeah. That's pre-EastEnders. Which... Pre-EastEnders. Yeah, pre-EastEnders. Okay. Vassas one all in very early, barely woken up, to be honest. He'd only had one coffee on EastEnders. Because he thinks everything has to have happened for the first time ever on EastEnders. <laughs> Get out of my pub! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got my fact. He's got his. Rachel's still working on hers. What's yours? Two different microbiomes. So somebody with a healthy microbiome. Meet in and a some, pub. Yeah, and somebody with an unhealthy microbiome. Meet in a pub yeah. and they eat the exact same meal, right. which currently with the menus, you can say it has like 712 calories, yes. right? Right. But the healthy microbiome, yes. that meal will have fewer calories for the healthy microbiome than 712. And the unhealthy microbiome, it will have more calories than 712 for the... I mean, that is... That's just extraordinary. I like it. I like it a lot. It's a great I fact. like it a lot. Thanks very much. <laughs> it's a bit general, if you don't mind me saying. It's a little bit general. How do you know it's if you a, have a healthy microbiome? It sounds like a killer fact. It sounds like, so, sound like um, a killer fact... Oh. Garden fate, and then you have to look no, for the no, killer no, no. facts it's like, behind the tombola. It's, it, it's like the the, the 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 speed of light. It's it's calories, calories, which we think of as like you know a unit of measurement. Mm. They are elastic. Well, we know that because they were all because they they were um, discovered by a man at the bottom of his garden in a shed boiling water in 1906. And I still can't. It's a bit like the Carolina era. I can't can't I still can't believe we subscribe to the man. In his shed at the bottom of the garden. Because mm. that's what happened, wasn't it? Yeah, well, here's also, another... Tash never refers to calories, ever. She always looks about the, the fat on... The, she looks at the other stuff, the the, the things that mean... The nutrition, yeah. The, nutrition, yeah, that's it. But, no, I mean, calories, because of the guy in his shed, we always thought we thought that's like a... You know, it's it's 12 grams. That's a that's a fact, it's 12 grams. I think you're referring to the Calorian era. Yes, I am. Oh, you need <laughs> another EastEnders one for that. <laughs> yeah, Coming up, coming up just after King Charles um, is coronated on May the 6th, Motorhead Day, the 8th of May, the 8th of May, the 8th of May, the 8th of May. of May. Stick that in your Caroline pipe and smoke it. <laughs> or get one of your serfs to do it for you. By the way, none of this is referring to King Charles. I'm just the people. Okay, okay, the first interracial kiss to be screened, 1968. Star Trek. Oh. Oh. Which characters? Captain Kirk kissed Lieutenant Uhuru and loved it. It remains unexplained. No, it doesn't anymore, because we've just explained it. So that's that. Well played, Star Trek. Yeah, and the more you find it, the more you sort of delve into Star Trek. I used to watch it just because it... What about this? Shows when you were younger... The only watched, and you pretended to like because you could stay up later. Ah, mm. oh, 100%. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, this is the worst show in the world, but it means I just don't have to be don't in bed. Have to go to bed. What is it about our resistance to go to bed? It makes you feel like a grown up. It's funny, isn't it? Our resistance to go to bed, it's so ironic, isn't it? Because as a kid, you resist going to bed, but then you also, the next day, resist getting out of the thing <laughs> you resisted getting into. Yeah. Getting up. Yeah. What's that about? I know. It's confusing. That's about being a human being. Yeah. That's about, that's about, you know, being given the greatest gift of all life and then being told the second you can understand words, oh, you know, this will end soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It remains unexplained. Which is how we like it. <laughs> Do you know that Star Trek took place? Star Trek is set after... After what, do you think? Um, Another question for you. After oh. the Carolean era. Well, it might end up that way. After... After the... It starts with the... Second World War. <laughs> He's probably correct. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because we're set after the Second World War. <laughs> and guess what? We're not in a spaceship. Well, we you are. We're in a right. spaceship. Set... After the Second World War, 1972? <laughs> <laughs> you did pre Duran Duran? Yes. Yeah? Post uh, Happy Mondays? What? Is it? When? Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look, right tent, wrong desert. After the. 
You write ten. End of the world. No, God, no, no, no. <laughs> you've you've nearly got the right answer. After the third you, world war. Yes. So Star Trek is set after the third world war. I didn't know that either. I presume it didn't end well. What? The third world war. I I didn't get to that bit. Right. To be honest. I mean, the only thing, the thing they got most wrong about Star Trek apparently um, is is human beings were still at the controls of the spacecraft. Because the one thing you don't want is a human being at the control of anything if you don't have to have that. And and people say, you know, yeah, but you need a you need a human being there because sometimes computers go wrong. Not as wrong as people go, not as often as people mm. go. But then that gets us to well, you know, AI, which we've tried to stay away from for a while. Haven't we? What else? What else? What else? What else? We done? Yeah. You sure? <laughs> Just want to move on. <laughs> that is definitely something else. Well, there's one more thing. Go on. What? What can it be? Do you want the story about no. the um, what? Taking a car in a race. Okay, can you? T- that's rubbish. That's a rubbish headline. The ultra runner that took a car in a race. Mm. Taking the, uh, a car. In- you're allowed to take a car in the race if you're the timer, or you're the security. Or, security or it's people. a Formula One race. Or a yeah. Formula One race. <laughs> yes. The, sort of acquired. He needs to work in his headlines, doesn't he? He really does. <laughs> Carolean. Absolute nonsense. I'm going to get you a T-shirt with that on it. Um, Kirsty Moulton, Icelandic uh, surnames end in son if you're male and dot here if you're female. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Meaning son and daughter respectively. So a brother and sister will have different surnames. What? That's the best fact. Mm. That's a, it's a naming fact day, isn't it? Come on. Uh, give us some more uh, name facts. Sherry in hands says, with regards to the whole Charles and Caroline debacle. See, Caroline's now in there. It's not Caroline. There's no, no mention of Caroline because it's Caroline. Everybody's saying Caroline now. This is the prop we're going to have. I spent too long as a child trying to find out um, when King Jacob reigned for the Jacobeans. But of course, King Jacob didn't. Um, and that's always confused me. And um, what is that, James? Yeah, probably. But with the point is, we don't know, do we? Mm. We absolutely don't know. Um, long time listener, first time texter. Here we go. First time texting bell. You get that if you're a first-time texter. And by the way, we know if you're yanking our chain, so don't lie to us. Stephanie and Alex says, um, please, could we ask for a shout-out to Auntie Pauline Parish, who is also a long-time listener too. Auntie Pauline set herself a challenge to run the London Marathon in her 60th year and is raising money for pancreatic cancer this Sunday. We love her lots and we'll be cheering her up. Yeah, well, we are counting down four sleeps to go now until the London Marathon. Very exciting. Pal of mine yesterday, I bumped into him and he, he said, um, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. He said, how are you feeling about Sunday? And I said, I'm completely fine about Sunday. Can't wait. I can't wait. Very excited about it. Not worried about it in the slightest. Have a few thoughts about it because you do have a few thoughts about it and regardless of how many you've done, you know, and uh, what the weather's going to be like and how I'm going to set off and what shorts I'm going to wear. I want these compression shorts to help me um, with my hamstrings, which are crazy, um, crazy in a silly state at the moment from being really honest but you know we get on with it and we're gonna have because it's it's such an honor you know we don't run the london marathon because we've got to we run the london marathon because we get to yeah and he said yesterday um i've got all the maranoia you know and i said well to be honest i'll take some of that off you if you like because i would like a bit of maranoia because if you embrace the maranoia it really helps doesn't it because it puts you on edge you know, it gets you on sort of amber now-ish and red alert come a Sunday morning. As long as you don't set off too quickly uh, without realising it, you know, slow down. You start off slow and go even slower. That's what you want to do. You always want to run, um, you know, feeling like you can run faster if you should have to. And then, you know, in the last six, five, four, three, two, one miles, then, you know, literally uh, melt yourself, you know. Mm. But what you don't want to be doing is getting to 18 to 22 miles thinking, I barely can run because you just slow down, just start walking. It's fine. Nobody minds at all. You know, in fact, you can do more high fives if you walk, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I would I would literally, if, if you could go on the internet now on eBay and buy mar- a bit of Maranoia, I would buy... Uh, 25% Maranoia. Yeah, I would as well. Caroline said to me, what did you do in the gym yesterday? And I went, I did heavy squats. And she went, haven't you got a marathon on Sunday? I went, oh, yeah. No, that probably wasn't. That's probably not in your book. Do heavy weights for your legs. But I'll have recovered by Sunday. You're all right as long as you don't do all that today. From from now on. From Wednesday, be nice to yourself. I did my, I, I shuffled so slowly this morning. So slowly, but that was my last moving, move, significant movement of my legs for four miles was this morning, and that is it. I'm wrapping myself in cotton wool between now and Sunday. Um, but we were talking yesterday about times and about, you know, 
<coughs> excuse me, friend of mine was running Paris and she hoped to run in under four and she ran 4.15 and she didn't mind. She genuinely, you know, people say I don't mind. Mm. You can tell they do. She genuinely didn't mind that she was in 4.15. She had time of life. She took a best friend. She took a mum. Uh, they went on Friday. They got back on um, Monday. They booked a restaurant in Paris for Sunday night. Yeah, you can tell. And she's involved in sport. She's very heavily involved in sport. She's a sporting expert, actually. Um, she said, you know, Every day's a school day. Every day's a school day, no matter what you do and what, at what level you do what you do. And she does this for a living. And she said, Chris, you know, I finally realised that the time you finish a marathon in is a reflection. All it is is a reflection of how you trained. That is it. And if you finish it feeling happy and comfortable and a bit shredded, then that's a true reflection of your training. And if you, if you set off on the start line on Sunday, or whatever you're doing, it's 5K catch, catch 10K, or whatever it is, half marathon, fun run, you know, what you run and how you run is a reflection, and because you, you can't hide. You can, you can mitigate. I know people who, for a living, right, issue, and sometimes preach at the worst, like me at my worst, um, but often um, uh, meet, mediate, communicate well-being. Right, and they sign up for a marathon, and it's sort of they write books about it, they do all this kind of stuff, and they they turn up and they're not prepared because they haven't done anything of the things that they make a living telling other people to do, and you get there and you go, well, good luck because you can't hide on this one. There's no PR here. There's no brilliantly you being an amazing you know raconteur to cover up. You can't. Good luck, you know, out there. Uh, by the way, enjoy it, but you you will. It's it is an absolutely authentic sincere and uber accurate scorecard yes and you don't have to fill it in because it fills itself in and that's what i love about it you can't fake a marathon you can try <laughs> cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com all right, off you go. We've all been obsessed with living the good life since Felicity Kendall went self-sufficient on BBC One in the 70s. Well, now we can find out how to live it without turning our suburban homes into farms. A new book, The Good Life, is out now and its authors are the ever-so-clever Dr. Duo, Bob Waldinger and Mark Schultz. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Welcome Hi. to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. All right, let's have the headlines first. What is this study that I've loved for the last five years and you've loved for a lot longer. Where did it start? How long has it been going for, Mark? So this study started in the 1930s, oh, wow. so it's been going on for 85 years. It started with 724 young men followed throughout their entire life. About two-thirds of the original participants were poor kids living in Boston's poorest neighborhoods facing real challenges, and the remaining one-third were students at Harvard University. All right, uh, Bob, how many people have been in charge of moderating and managing this study? Well, I'm the fourth director. Congratulations, everyone. <laughs> the most famous scientific study and, on the planet. And Mark is the associate director. Yeah. But... <laughs> This is, there have been hundreds of people who have worked on this project over 85 years. All right, what are the headlines thus far? Because it's ongoing. Two big headlines. Yeah. One isn't a surprise uh -huh. that you need to take care of your body like you're going to need it for 100 years. Yep. But the big surprise is that the quality of our relationships with other people don't just make us happier if we have good relationships. They keep us healthier and they help us live longer. That's the surprise. That's the thing we didn't believe when we first started to find this in our research. Mark, when did that first start to emerge? I would say about 20 or 30 years, we started to have an inkling in our own data. It was the relationship you had with your partner in your 50s that predicted how well you were aging late in life. So that was a sign, including your physical health. And then lots of other hints from our study. And then we looked because, as Bob said, we wanted to be careful. We're scientists. Yep. We wanted to check. And other studies were confirming that your relationships are connected to your health. They get inside your body, under your skin, and they help us live longer. And so what was sort of emerging as a whisper um, then became a little louder and has continued to compound? 
Well, it has. And now we're figuring out how it works. Like, how do relationships actually protect our bodies? Yep. And the best hypothesis is that it's about stress, that re good relationships help us relieve stress. They help our bodies calm down. So if I have something really upsetting happen, I can go home, complain to my wife, and literally feel my body <laughs> calm down. If you don't have anybody you can call or go home to, we think the body stays in a kind of agitated fight or flight mode and gradually wow. higher levels of inflammation and stress hormones break down the body. So true. So therefore, the good life, um, which is the resultant, one of the resultants of this amazing, the longest scientific study, anthropological study, you know, of the modern age, therefore ever, um, is based around relationships. So you take, don't you, take the sort of cornerstone, the foundation of, of your discovery, if you like, and then you say, right, OK, let's look at all relationships. That's what you do. Um, so let's start, let's start uh, with personal and then go on to friends, and then go on to partners, and then go on to work. So take those. You talked about this load, so, so fill your boots. Off you go. Well, we think that everybody, whether you're shy or an extrovert, everybody needs one secure relationship. One. So okay. we asked our original people, who could you call in the middle of the night if you were sick or scared? And most people could list several people. Yeah. Some people couldn't list anybody. Some people were married and couldn't list anybody who they could call if they were Or in tap trouble. on the shoulder even. Right, right, exactly. right. So, so what we believe is that everybody, all of us need at least one of those kinds of relationships in order to feel safe and secure in the world. Is that where you would begin, do you think? Yeah. You can begin with that, but really important for listeners to recognize that you don't need to have an intimate relationship to thrive. You can get the things you need from relationships, from friends, from relatives, from neighbors, from people you work with, that it's all relationships end up mattering to us. And it makes sense. Relationships give us so many things. It's not just stress. There are many other things that they give us. It's a sense of identity. It's a place we have fun. So relationships turn out when we really think about it. They turn out to be incredibly important across a range of domains. You talk about work. I mean, all the chapters have self-explanatory headlines, and they're all amazing. You talk about work, relationships at work, being a different person at work to how you are at home, which itself can be exhausting. It's probably not advisable. Um, the fact that um, during COVID, a lot of people who didn't really get on with maybe their co-workers saw them at, on Zoom at home and saw a different person almost. And there are ways to build these bridges. Uh, you have examples of that. Um, there are ways of finding out that you have more in common with people that, first of all, you don't think you do. Can you speak to that for a second or two? Yeah, well, first, really important to recognize that a lot of us spend a lot of our waking hours at work. So it's a really important place to get nourished and relationships There's are There's a stat part there. Of... What's the stat? It's about hundreds of thousands of hours compared yeah. to a few thousand hours doing other things. Yeah. Most of our waking hours are at work. It's 116,000 per lifetime or something stupid like something that. Something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, you know, really important that we not neglect what we are, you know, our, our, our bodies and our health at work. So uh, part of the trick is figuring out ways to make those connections. We all want to be seen and heard and understood. So what are the ways that work that we can connect with others in meaningful ways? And part of it is just being curious about other people, uh, being interested in, in what they're doing, what they're wearing. I'm looking around the studio, what people are wearing i would ask you about you know what is that on your jacket marathon it says you know you're a marathoner chris i didn't know that yeah right? i you never know? talk about it i talk yeah. about it all yeah. the time <laughs> <laughs> this sunday you want to join no come on <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i'd make it no. we often talk about quality over quantity uh, but that's not always the case is it to do with time and people and we talk about money you talk about the value of money in the book and you know where happiness really lies uh, and the fact that we often uh, take uh, fiscal phrases to to adapt them to, or adopt them for conversation to do with time uh, which is one currency we do all have in common can you speak to that for a bit please right we talk about spending time yeah and it really what we're really talking about is our attention and one of the things that i know from my zen practice is what my teacher taught me which is attention is the most basic form of love and that if we really give our full undivided attention to other people, it's the greatest gift we have to yeah. give. It's also the rarest because these wonderful screens that we're so addicted to keep grabbing our attention and taking it away from the people we care about. Yeah. So important to be as intentional as we can 
about where we direct our attention. Yeah. So you spend time and you pay attention, spending, paying, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you start each chapter off with amazing quotes. The one you just speaking to there was, uh, you know, the only true gift is a portion of yourself. Um, things like that. You you talk about participants in the study who have then benefited from it and some who haven't because they didn't want to and the ones who have uh, then again sort of confirm everything and get even happier and there's an upward spiral that you can jump on board if you if you like. Can you talk about some of those characters who have and haven't benefited from the study and, and why? Maybe? Yeah, so th these were originally, these are guys that were born in the 30s and 40s. Their wives joined the, joined the study later on and now we study the children of the original participants, so men and women. Uh, but these were guys that weren't used to being asked questions about their lives. And over 85 years, we kind of poked and prodded them with different questions. Uh, and some of the questions were really hard, talking about challenging events in their lives, the kinds of regrets that they had. And what they told us, because we asked them, is that checking in regularly was a helpful thing for them. It allowed them to think about their lives, to reflect on what was working, what wasn't working. Um, so they found it helpful. And that was, in fact, part of the motivation for Bob and I to write the book, to provide a way for people to check in who weren't in our study. So we provide some exercises and some questions that are similar to the kinds of things that our participants did over the years. It's a fantastic book. You've done all the heavy lifting for us and you've made it a fun read and oh, it's, a, it's a compelling read. You also yeah. cite yourselves and your wives. Yeah. Um, so how did you two first um, hook up on a blind date and then what happened with your spouses? Because it <laughs> how speaks did, how to... What, we hook up yeah, on a blind date? Yeah, because you talk date. about it, don't you? We you talk do. about it in the book. So I was, I was initially officially... Mark's boss. He was my I was boss. directing he the was training. I was directing the training program in which Mark was doing his internship, and right. I was the director of a psychiatry program. But I didn't know anything about research. Mark knew a lot about research. And so we ended up teaming up in a lab where we essentially were students, and we were students together and realized that we had a lot in common and really complementary skills. So we've had this partnership for almost 30 years. And you knew that this would be uh, cemented, solidified, and be more creative and more productive if your wives happened to get on. So you had to surreptitiously <laughs> see if that was going to be the case. How now, did that pan out? Mark? That was Bob's cleverness. Bob. He, he was, on, Bob. yeah. So, so, so Bob invited my wife, Joan, to dinner with his wife, Jen. Jennifer and, and uh, we hit it off and became friends and, and both Jennifer and Joan, our wives, are in London with us and uh, they've been having fun together while Bob and I have been working. So yeah, it makes for a wonderful Bob and I have grown to be friends and part of it is definitely through our wives as well. So yeah. when it began, different time of course, it was it was a sexist um, study, wasn't it? It was and, definitely, and, yeah. Um, then you started, to, or the study, not you, but the study started to include the opinions of partners and reflections of partners, all women, it has to be said, and now of course women and, and um, uh, offspring uh, are, are continuing the study because the study is on going it doesn't die with the first participants in the study and you speak to the sexes in the book a lot and it's all unbelievably interesting and you cite the fact in black and white and you know because you're scientists and you have the data that met that the men are not as good at fre the friendship thing than women what have you discovered about that well we looked into the research lots of research when we were writing the book to see what was what and in fact the differences between men and women aren't as big as we would think that, in fact, relationships are really important to men, too. They're not important. Not just to women. But important. Women do it differently. Women yeah. are more confiding. Women share more emotionally. Men do more stuff together. The way you describe it in the book, by the way, is perfect. You say women are more face-to-face -face and men are more side-by-side, -side, yeah. which is football, which is doing stuff, as yeah. opposed to talking about things. Running marathons. Running marathons. <laughs> side by side and behind most of everybody else yeah. um, so go on speak more about men and women because it's so interesting well and so what we find is that that actually it changes for men as well that men soften and get more emotionally available many of them as they get older we also learned from some research that boys young teenage boys actually have more emotionally confiding relationships with each other and then as they get older they think it's not macho it's yeah. not masculine it's a shame, and so they isn't it? they it's stop a shame. confiding but we're hoping and we think that that younger generations of boys and men may may be raised with a different sense of what's possible if you're 
a man, uh, right. what's possible in relationships. So, so Mark, going forward, um, you know, uh, leaping forward, if you can, virtually, you know, the world has never been more connected, but in many ways uh, has never been more isolated. It can be, you know, the whole thing, social media or whatever, uh, text, WhatsApp, you know, is a facade of community. Um, but what's, what's, what's the best of it and what's the worst of it? Yeah, so I think really important to start with this idea that technologies always give us challenges. So these men that we followed and their wives over time, they were introduced to phones in the homes. They were intrusive, and the families kind of didn't like that intrusion into the privacy of their home. So the trick is really taking advantage of these technologies. They certainly come with challenges. Um, we know that emotions are blunted. The less lifelike the technology mediation is, so texting is less emotional. We can't read cues in the same way, that it makes it harder to bond in a way that we truly feel close to others. And it also eliminates the Zoom meetings that we're all on, eliminate that kind of downtime that's important, the traditional water cooler, or the coffee place at work. So we need to build those in, really critical to kind of let, not let the technologies lead us, but to decide what our priorities are and to build those into the technologies. So I think we're trying to figure it out. And remote work has made it harder. The pandemic has made it much harder. So there's an epidemic of loneliness out there that we really need to address um, really important to help people feel more connected but one can be alone and not lonely so yeah really important this idea that some of the loneliest people at least in the states are young people that are spending massive amounts of time with lots of people like them university kids are lonely uh, so it's not the physical isolation it's a sense that other people don't know you don't have your back aren't you're not connected to other people and that's aversive for us it turns out it's also corrosive for our health over time and how much do we have to get on with it because uh, it's funny that your book and something else I was reading coincided as things like this often do about um, there will always be time for dot 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 not necessarily true there will always be time for dot 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 I will do what I really want to when dot 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 so there's the there will always be time for philosophy meets the when philosophy tell us about the dangers of those and tell us about the guy who in his 60s changed his life he's in the book and you know it's it's literally you say it's never too late so right, right well we we have so many pressures on us you know we're we've got our jobs we've got our home lives so many things to do and we think well okay i'll get to my relationships later uh, those friendships will always be there but what we saw when we followed thousands of people is that some really good relationships would just wither away and die from neglect and so what we found is that the, the happiest people were the people who actively took care of their relationships. Every day, every week, would reach out to people, would make sure they connected with people. And so we had this one man in our study who didn't really have friends and he didn't have much of a marriage. And then when he was in his 60s and he retired, he joined a gym and he found a group of people who he loved and who loved him. And he started. they started hanging out together and doing all kinds of things together. For the first time in his life, he found friends when he thought it would never happen for him. So we have this chapter titled, It's, it's, it's a, Never Too it's, Late. It's my favorite. I because think. When, you, when you follow a whole lot of lives, you realize there are all kinds of twists and turns that we never expect. And we're only getting one of them. That's the last we heard, at least anyway, um, in this skin and bag of bones uh, that we sort of tend to in habit right. every single day. Um, attention to relationships, your best investment. You you, you pre-reference chapter five and then post-reference it quite a lot. Do you, do you think that's a sem the seminal chapter in the book? What, your social fitness? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So we... We saw that actually taking care of your social fitness like your physical fitness is something you want to do over and over again every day. You don't go to the gym once or run one marathon and say, good, I'm taken care of. My Done. body's going to be fine. And you don't do that with your relationships either. And so what we find and what we'd like people to think about is how to be more active. I mean, you could think of somebody right now who you kind of miss, you haven't talked to in a while, yeah. and just... Think, send them a text, yeah. send them an email, call them on the phone and just say, hi, I was just thinking about you and wanted to connect. You'll be amazed at all the good stuff that comes back. To yeah, you. and that's having to do something. But you know, we're a big fan on this show of dropping and stopping. So you know, it's, if you want to, if you if you need to stop something that's bad for you, all you have to do is stop. You just have to stop doing it. Whereas if you go to the gym, you got to get sneakers, you got to join a gym. Starting is a lot more sort of industrious and makes you feel better in the moment than maybe stopping. But stopping, cutting things off. 
staying away from people. You know, watering the flowers as opposed to worrying about the weeds because the flowers will always overshadow the weeds anyway. What have you discovered about that? Well, I think there's so many distractions in this modern world. This idea about stopping what we're doing, not just moving without thought, like on automatic pilot, really critical. Otherwise, we get distracted. So the difference between the technologies now and the older technologies is they're really good at getting inside our pockets and in our heads totally. and cra- capturing our attention. So it's really critical, as Bob was saying, to, to think intentionally, what's important to me? What's What are my priorities in life? So my physical health, my connections to others, we want to figure out ways to to create time for that and we need to cancel out those messages we need to stop them from getting into our brains and here's the thing to stop so some research shows that if we simply passively consume social media content we get more depressed we get more anxious and our self-esteem goes down and you know because we're consuming other people's curated edited lives right and then we think everybody else has a perfect life and i don't so What we know is that if we can stop that, stop that passive consumption and start being more active, sorry, it's something you have to pick up and do, (laughs) Uh, but if we're more active, even on social media, actively connecting with people, we get happier. Yeah, depending on who they are and what they're talking about. One of my favorite thoughts is, um, you know, uh, the subject you choose to think about dictates the quality of your thoughts. Yep. So yeah. if you if you write the right shopping list at the beginning of every day, it's very difficult to have a bad day, which sounds crazy, but it is true. Yeah. Well, I think you're talking partly about how much control we have over our well-being and our happiness. And it's pretty clear the research suggests this is glass half empty versus half full. It suggests about 50% of our happiness is determined by our genes. But that means 50% is under our control, right? It's that shopping list that we make every day dictates what we're thinking about, what we do, our daily actions, all really important. Yeah, if you go for a walk in the park... It's difficult not to be on a walk in the park. Exactly. Right. That kind of thing. And I love the glass half full thing because you will know this as a Zen friend. Um, You know, is your glass half empty or is it half full? And the answer to that is of what? Because it's half full of water, but it's also half full of air. The glass is always full of something. Exactly. Well, and we can actively call to mind everything that's not wrong. We're so good. Our minds are good at latching on to what's wrong right now. Right? We can latch on. So Thich Nhat Hanh, the wonderful Vietnamese Zen monk, said... Let's celebrate today because it's a no toothache day. Yeah. You know, think about all the things that are not wrong. And if you call those to mind over and over again, you get happier. Research shows us it's You 100% true. do. I mean, there's the uh, Amor Fati and there's, um, oh, what's the other one? Uh, there's Stoic Thoughts, which are Amor Fati and Memento Mori. So you wake up every day and you imagine... You have every disease in the world, you have less than no money in the world, and you're waking up under some in a forest somewhere, no leaves on the trees, it's pouring down with rain, you have no clothes on, and and then a minute later you think, no, none of that is happening to me. Yeah. And you, So you'll wake up and you have won the lottery. And if anything's happening to you anyway, it means you're alive. Well, that's a plus, because if... If you really don't want anything to happen to you, well, then, you know, when you when you were unborn before and when you become unborn again, th- th- that's already covered. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love all this stuff. Right, Rachel, have, have a word. Off you go. For you guys in your field of work, getting these jobs with this with this established body of study and the continuation of it, like, how did you nab those jobs and how exciting <laughs> was that? Yeah. The third director of this study, George Valiant, was my professor in medical school. And he lectured to my class when I was a first-year student. And I thought, this is the coolest thing in the world, following all these lives. And then about 15 years later, he took me out to lunch one day and said, how would you like to inherit this study? And I dropped my fork and I said, well, I don't know anything about old people because the people were old by then. But I study couples. So he didn't miss a beat. He said, let's study old couples. So our first study together was a study of late life marriage when our couples were in their 80s. And that's how it began for me. And Mark came in and we've been doing it for 20 years. How long do you think your your reign is going to last or your incumbency? (laughs) We don't know. I mean, this is an amazing thing. The study, when it began, they thought maybe we'd go five years or so. And and through kind of luck. They had a budget for five years. And a budget, exactly. So through luck and really incredible persistence and creativity, the study has continued. The longer it goes, the more valuable and some ways it becomes so bob and i feel a real responsibility to keep it going it's active we're 
asking these questions about social media and the consequences for connection and our health. So we're, we're actively researching and uh, hope it continues. See, Thich Nhat Hanh would say, and I've, written every, I've read every single book with the word happiness or happy in it. I promise you. Really? Amazing. Yeah. And this is as good as it gets, I promise oh, you. thank you. But Thich Nhat Hanh would, of course, start with, you know, you have to, to polish, you have to build, you have to protect your own island. Your relationship with yourself is where all relationships with everybody and everything else begin. Speak to that, please, if you don't. Well, you know, what we find, and so I, I do psychotherapy as a psychiatrist. That's my specialty. So every oh God, day. Can you stick and, around after and, the show? And, and, and yes, I've been, I've been, Chris, I've been analyzing you the whole time we've been talking, and yes. I'll have things to tell you okay, later. Okay, good. But what we find is that, that really when we have a better relationship with ourselves, when we are more self-accepting, particularly of all the messy bits, right? And the bits we're a little ashamed of, that when we become more self-accepting, we're much more easily connected with other people and we're much more open to connecting with other people. So there's a lot of work that we can do on ourselves that then makes us a much better friend, a much better partner, uh, a much better person out there. You can't transmit what you haven't got. Exactly. Exactly. I love the I love the bits about radical curiosity, and I was going to actually ask you to just analyze Chris on the air, but that's probably not fair. But what are the what are the things that you guys have learned from doing this study that have kind of most resonated personally? What have you changed about your own lives from what you've learned? Yeah, so for me, you know, we really we're walking the walk here. That relationships are so critically important. Time moves very quickly, so really leaning in, capturing those moments, spending the time with people we care about, and making those connections really critical. I also think, you know, what a privilege. We talked about winning the lottery. Watching people's lives across eighty-five years of time is just an incredible privilege. It feels quite profound to watch the twists and turns that people's lives take, the extraordinary ways that people meet challenges and grow. So that's been an amazing lesson for me as well. I literally do more stuff with my friends. (laughs) Um, I literally make sure that I plan to take a walk or have a coffee or do something more than once a week with different friends so that I'm more current with people than I used to be. Because as a Harvard professor, I could work 24-7 for the rest of my life. And I realized from our study findings that if I do that, I'm going to miss some of the best parts of life. Oh, wow. I mean, what a book. What a study. What a conversation. It's, it's a real pleasure. It's an honor to meet, to meet you two. Um, some of the participants were so committed to the study and so grateful for the study, they gave themselves to it for the whole of their lives. And then they said, what can we do after we're, we're no longer here. And some of them have gifted their brains to you. Yeah, it's, yes. a, it's a extraordinary. So we have how many brains, Bob? It's between 25 and 30. 25 and 30 brains. Families will call us and reach out and said, you know, oh. this study was important to my dad, my mom. What is it that we can give you? We have his diaries. We have his journals. So they were quite devoted. And of course, you know, we feel incredibly grateful. Yeah. What if you know somebody who's friendophobic, who just doesn't like it? Um, they're verging on being a misanthrope. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. is that a natural state or is there something going on there? I mean, you have to be very careful when you, you can't, we say on the show all the time, you can't check on people, you can check in on people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, give us some advice there. Well, you know, very important to check in on people. Uh, but some people don't want others around. One size never fits all when you study human okay. life, that, right? That, and that's, that's okay, okay right. that some okay. people are very content to spend most of their lives alone. The great majority are not. We evolved to be social animals. Right. But it doesn't mean that the person who wants to spend most of their time alone uh, should be dragged out yeah. into into a party, right? It's just not not necessary. What if they what if they do, but they just don't seem like they do? Well, there are ways to help people. So many people are frightened. Many people have the sense that people don't want them around, that the the world doesn't want me. And so there are ways to reach out to those people uh, to help them feel safe in, in dipping a toe in those social waters. Basically, and part of it is just realizing there's so many people that are lonely in our modern world. It's extraordinary. Almost a third of the population in, in the U.S. and in the U.K. It's just recognizing that you're not alone. And and this other idea I think is critical that you know we can, we come in different flavors. Some of us like spending time in crowds and loud places, and some of us we do better with single people in a quieter spot. So those who might be more reluctant, they just need to find their place where they can connect. 
And uh, finally, because we are out of time, by the way, how quickly did that half an hour pass by? Mm. Um, you talk about people generally in the book from the survey. It's all general, even though it's specific. It's, it's, it starts specific and then it gets general the more people that are involved and the more variables that are involved and the more generations that are involved. But you do say, by and large, if you live an examined life, you stand more chance of being happier if you're sort of a normie to begin with. Um, each of you, in 30 seconds each, if you don't mind, what to you is an examined life? Bob. An examined life is finding the activities that you care about and finding the people that you care about and who care about you. And if you can have those two things, you're having an examined and hopefully a good life. Can you add to that, Mark? Yeah, I think in addition, you know, just thinking hard about what's important to you, what are your priorities in life and making sure that you pay attention to those and give your time to those things that are most important. And what about the anomaly of the plurality of the word priority? Hmm. What what about the plurality? What's, well, what do you it, mean? Because well, the thing about having priorities is it comes uh, from the word okay. priority. Yeah. yeah. And so if you have twenty priorities, you're in a you're a super priority. You know, <laughs> we're always we're always figuring it out. Right. No, we never get to a point where we finally got it figured what's your, out. What's your priority? Life then? Is all Give me good. your top three, Bob. My top three yeah. are doing things I like yeah. with people I care about yeah. and making sure I take the time to meditate every day. Okay, you can now breathe. That's good. And what about you, Mark? My family and people I care about, learning new things um, and enjoying myself. All right. Well, listen, yeah. it's the best book. You It might be the best book you read this year. Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz is The Good Life and How to Live It, Lessons from the World's Longest Study on Happiness. Um, everybody's given it blurb on the back. Everyone you've ever heard of, who's been, they've all been on this show, mm. yeah. giving it blurb on the back. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a lovely day. It's Such great to pleasure. form a relationship with yes. you. What too. a pleasure. Good <laughs> luck on Sunday. So we have to see each other more often. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, you've not told me why yet, but uh, he's going to tell me in a moment. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Vassos. Thank, Thank, Thank you to the team. Thanks, that man. was Wednesday. We'll see you Thursday. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 